Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Training Underscore Data. I know it's been a long hiatus, and I can just sense a sigh of relief across the internet community that we are back. In similar uh, protocol to previous episodes, we're still practicing social distancing, uh, but we'll be doing this virtually. And so today we're going to be returning to one of our most favorite topics, which is SpaceNet, and specifically uh, our most recently concluded challenge, SpaceNet 6. If you listened uh, to our previous episode on this, where we were introducing the challenge uh, before it launched back in March, uh, we referred to the release, the development and release of a co-registered electro-optical and synthetic aperture radar data set as our white whale. And I believe we had nominated Jake to be our Captain Ahab. Well, uh, Captain Ahab is back, uh, as well as other characters, which we can get into today. And, you know, I think one of the reasons that we were so excited about SpaceNet 6 and, and we consider it sort of this uh, long sought challenge is because it represents something truly unique, uh, not just for the SpaceNet community, but for computer vision applied research more broadly. And so if you haven't listened before, uh, SpaceNet, it's a nonprofit organization. It's managed uh, by us here at Cosmic Works, close collaboration with our co-chair, Maxar Technologies, and then all of our other SpaceNet partners, which is uh, Amazon Web Services, uh, Intel AI, uh, Capella Space, uh, TopCoder, the IEEE GRSS, uh, NGA, and uh, now Planet. And specifically, what we'll be talking about today in our sixth challenge is really the structure of uh, the challenge, which we covered a little bit in our past episode, but more specifically getting into when the challenge ran, what prizes were offered, and the most exciting part, which was uh, who won and what has been some of the findings and research that have come out of this challenge. So we'll get into all that today. Along with me is the one and only Captain Ahab. Some people know him as Jake Shermeyer. It just depends who you talk to. Jake, welcome back to the show. Hey, great, great to be back, Ryan. Uh, yeah, I, I think we can safely say mission accomplished. We've slain the whale, harpooned it, if you will, with star beams, perhaps. We actually survived, uh, which is, is also an exciting bonus. So great to be back on training data. Yeah, it's an alternative, yeah, an alternative ending. Okay, choose your yes. own adventure. It's great to have him back on the show, uh, Daniel Hogan. Daniel, welcome. Hey, great to be back. I don't know what character you represent in, in Moby Dick, but at the end of this podcast, I would like you to select the character, please. Very good. All right, excellent. I won't forget. All right, so let's get into really the most, uh, into the details right away, right? We talked a little bit about this in previous episode, but as a reminder, Jake, why don't you just jump into an overview of the data set and a little bit about why that's unique, and then we can get into some of the more specifics of the challenge. Uh, yeah, sure. So uh, the data set was was really unique. It was, as we said, the, the first data set that contained both optical and, and star imagery co-registered over a single location. So the location in this setting was Rotterdam, the Netherlands, and our, our star data came from Capella Space with the optical data from, from Maxar. So the, the data set was actually captured in August. Uh, Capella flew an aerial flight. Uh, so this is you know, they're about to launch their first satellite. They have this new sensor. They want to test out how well it, it performs uh, before they actually put it in space. So that, that's why they created this data set, mounted it on this, this aerial sensor. They ended up capturing 204 image strips over Rotterdam over a three-day time span. 
Uh, our optical data in this case came from the Maxar Worldview 2 satellite. Uh, so we have a single shot here just about a week after the, the Capella data was captured. Uh, and both of these are about a half meter spatial resolution. Uh, the task for SpaceNet 6 was extracting building footprints automatically using a combination of these data sets. Uh, and for our labels here, we use an existing uh, data set called 3D Bag, which spans the entirety of the Netherlands. We crop it down to Rotterdam. And another interesting aspect of this data set is that it has actually height information associated with it. So that enables us to pull out some interesting primer or, or points so we can investigate actually how height influences the ability to de detect buildings in, with SAR data. Um, so yeah, a lot of interesting aspects here. Uh, the participation in the challenge was awesome and uh, we're, we're excited to share a lot of this today. Yeah, and you know, for, for those of you that may not be as you know, familiar or maybe not familiar at all with the remote sensing industry or just geospatial data sets more generally is, you know, SAR is a data set that's often discussed and, uh, but it's rare that it is diffusely, data sets are diffusely distributed. It's kind of known as being hard to get, um, and as a result of those barriers to entry, only certain groups really provide research. So I think as a broader context with Jake saying, it was really exciting for us to put this out in a much more uh, open manner, because we think it will hopefully jumpstart uh, additional research in looking at deep learning on synthetic aperture radar data sets. You know, there is a lot of difference, you know, certainly between electro-optical or passive collect and an active collect like SAR. And, and those should not be overlooked when we're thinking about uh, how machine learning models can apl are applied or perhaps how they don't translate across uh, the two different modalities. Uh, so J or Daniel, why don't you walk us through at the high level uh, some of the advantages of, of, of SAR, but then more specifically, some of the technical challenges that an active collect presents relative to just uh, an image, which is intuitively uh, a lot easier to understand. Yeah, so the idea with uh, SAR, synthetic aperture radar, is that you're taking a picture of the ground using a radar instrument that's mounted on a moving airplane or a satellite. And uh, actually the technology takes advantage of that motion to get higher resolution than would otherwise be possible. The main advantage of this approach is that because you are providing the illumination with the radar pulses, you can do this at night. You can even do it on a cloudy day because at the right frequencies, uh, radar uh, doesn't care about that. And there are disadvantages as well, one being that the images have some distortions that are a little tricky to think about. Um, with this approach, one figures out the distance to things by the amount of time for the radar echoes to return uh, to the sensor. And so, for example, if you have a skyscraper, the echo from the top of the skyscraper will actually get back before the echo from the bottom of the skyscraper. And so that leads to a kind of distorted picture where the, the, the building even appears to be kind of laid out uh, horizontally due to the distortion. The flip side of that is that there are also advantages to this uh, different approach. Uh, one being that you can use different kinds of radar pulses. You can polarize the beam in different ways. And based on the difference in the strength of the echo you get back and even offsets of the echo in terms of frequency, um, or in terms of phase, excuse me, 
you can learn more information about the structure of what's there on the ground. So you lose some information relative to a normal photograph, but you also gain some information. And with all that in mind then, what does that mean in terms of how we went about structuring the challenge? Because given those differences that you're highlighting, we have to take that in consideration when we're thinking about what type of technical challenge we're gonna to pose to competitors and also how we even structure uh, which data are used for uh, training and which data we hold back maybe for testing. Could you uh, talk a little bit about that, Daniel? Yeah, that's right. So for this challenge, for the training data, challenge participants were given SAR data and optical data, that is to say normal photographs from satellites, for the same geographic location to use for training their models. Then when it came time to test the models, to ask them to run inference on previously unseen data, for that they were only given SAR. And the reason to do that was to simulate a real world situation where you might have a lot of historical data in different modalities, but then something happens like a natural disaster where you need new imagery immediately, and maybe it's just cloudy that week and SAR is the only thing you can get. Well, that's outstanding. And so with all that in mind, let's talk about, you know, one thing that we've discussed a lot in previous episodes is that for each SpaceNet challenge, we always want to try to help participants, particularly those perhaps not familiar with GEO, get a jump start. With all this that you're just discussing around the data set, the challenge structure, could you talk a little bit about the algorithmic baseline, uh, Daniel, that you put together and open sourced really as a starting point for competitors to get going in the challenge? Yeah, that's exactly right. So we want to uh, always lower the barrier to entry to make it easier for new people with different uh, backgrounds and different skill sets to come in and do this kind of work. And one of the many ways that we do that for these SpaceNet challenges is, as you said, create an algorithmic baseline, which is a complete working example solution to the challenge that challenge participants are, are being asked to do. And so the algorithm, algorithmic baseline uh, for this challenge used a uh, UNET architecture for a, a deep learning model with a VGG11 encoder. And it's also to take advantage of the optical data, used a training, uh, excuse me, used a transfer learning approach where the model was initially trained on the optical data to learn some of the basics of finding things in overhead imagery. And then it was trained again on the SAR data to specifically uh, gain expertise in the, in the problem that it was being asked to solve. And how did, uh, uh, for those who haven't read uh, your blog post, uh, how did the initial baseline model do? So the initial baseline model is, uh, is mediocre. Uh, the way that we evaluate model performance is with a very elegant metric that we call the SpaceNet metric. The way it works is that for every predicted building footprint coming out of the model, if it has an intersection over union with an actual ground truth, ground truth building footprint in excess of one half, then we call it correct. And the F1 score for correct footprint predictions is then calculated. The reason why this is a nice uh, metric to use is that it penalizes the right sorts of things. If a prediction just gets the location of the walls a little bit wrong, 
that's not penalized. But if it misses a building entirely or fabricates a building out of nothing, uh, then that definitely is. So by that metric, the, uh, the baseline came in with a score in the neighborhood of a point, point 0.21 F1 score, we'll call it 21 points or something. But uh, as we'll see, some of the competitors uh, achieve scores well in excess of that, which was pretty exciting to see. Yeah, absolutely. Well, why don't we take a quick break? And then when we come back, uh, we'll dive into the most interesting part, which is how well the competitors did, especially relative to our baseline. And then most interestingly, how, how did they do it? So we'll be back in a short second. Hey, Jake, you want to know one of my favorite things about working from home? What's that, Ryan? It affords me the opportunity to create image annotations on satellite imagery. Really? How do you yeah, do that? Yeah, it does. Well, that's the, that's the question, right? You know, we were thinking about how we do that. I thought, you know, we need to put something out there. And so as a result, in combination with our friends at Azavia, we've collaborated to put all of the SpaceNet data in their new tool called Groundwork, which allows anyone to register for free right now and provide any type of labeling on top of the entire SpaceNet corpus, well, specifically SpaceNet 2 through 6. And it would highly recommend anyone check that out by going to our website and, and clicking on Get Started. Jake, have you created your account yet? I have. I've started annotating a bunch of different boats so you can work with uh, all the modalities that are offered in SpaceNet. So we've got Maxar, very high resolution satellite imagery in there. We've got the Capella SAR. Uh, so you can really annotate until your, your heart's desire. It's, it's an exciting uh, turn here because uh, you know people have other interests beyond foundational mapping, and now this should hopefully open up the, the awesome space and imagery database to, to others to start creating their own labels. Yeah, absolutely. So check it out on uh, spacenet.ai, and you'll scroll down, and you'll see the, the Groundworks Get Started link. Uh, click on that and have fun. All right, now back to the show. All right, we're back with Jake Shermeyer and Daniel Hogan talking about uh, the long-awaited results from the SpaceNet 6 challenge. Uh, before the break, we were talking about the uh, algorithmic baseline that we put together and how the results, not surprisingly, it's, uh, were, as Daniel put it, mediocre. But, you know, I think what was really compelling, and Jake kind of uh, insinuated this, is we had really strong results. And so, Jake, if you could just a little bit give an overview of just uh, how competitive was this challenge, uh, where were some of the uh, competitors coming from, and then from that, let's get into... Uh, the top five and, and how they did, uh, did so well. Yeah, so I mean, this was definitely the most competitive SpaceNet challenge to date. We had over 1,600 unique submissions, so that, that's a lot of code, a lot of GPU hours crunching here. Um, we had uh, over 400 registrants for the challenge as well, so it was a really great participation metrics here. Um, some of the best, really, computer vision scientists in the world, um, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. Um, but the challenge ran for, for a few months, uh, well, six weeks, as we said, and uh, ended up handing out over $50,000 in, in cash prizes, as well as 15000 in AWS GPU credits to get people spun up and, and started on this. Uh, so our, without further ado, our top five here, uh, the competition was won by uh, Zbigniew Wojna. Now, that's a, that's a very Polish name, certainly saying that wrong. Uh, I've affectionately referred to him as Woj from this point forward. So when you hear me say Woj, I'm talking about the winner. Uh, uh, in second place, we had Maximov KA. 
uh, and third was the Satship AI team, uh, fourth, Moto Kimura, and fifth was Selum Stuff. Now, uh, some of these people are, are returning champions or returning winners, specifically Maximov and Selum Stuff. They've both placed in prior SpaceNet competitions. Um, speaking of Wojna or Woj, uh, it was the winner, as I said, uh, and he uh, is the CTO, I believe, for, for a, a startup company called TensorFlight in Poland that specializes in computer vision applications for uh, overhead imagery. And uh, also the Satship AI team is, is another startup based in Greece, and they actually specialize in uh, overhead imagery work as well. Um, so the, the, the challenge was really cool. Um, the, the winning margin here was uh, 2.4 points. The, the score, uh, winning score was 42.4. Uh, now, 2.4 points might not sound like a lot, but that's actually the second largest margin of victory in the history of all of our six base net challenges, um, which is, was interesting to see. Now, the largest margin of victory came in SpaceNet 2, which was won by XDXD, and he won by five points. And he did that with uh, an ensemble of deep learning models. And this was the first time in the challenge series that that was introduced. Uh, and since then, that, that's been the standard approach ever since then. Um, which is, is really interesting. Um, the, another interesting aspect about the challenge was really uh, how prevalent some of these newer approaches were in the computer vision space. So we're talking about the newest and best deep learning networks are, are really being applied here, uh, specifically EfficientNet. Uh, so EfficientNet uh, was just uh, developed that set the benchmark for ImageNet uh, classification. And people use this as part of their, their neural networks. Uh, EfficientNet is, uh, although it's set this benchmark, it's actually uh, faster and smaller than any other network in, in its class. So I've ever set, set this benchmark. And it was actually created with an auto ML approach. So this means they actually used another network to design this network to create it in a way that it can be heavily optimized for both uh, speed and, and performance. Um, so yeah, a, a, a lot of interesting and, and Jake, things. To jump in on that point just for a sec, just because it's, you know, as we approach our four, our four year anniversary uh, uh, for SpaceNet, it is rather astounding just in that short time span to see not only the incorporation of deep learning, but more specifically how efficient, or I should say optimized some of these models have become relative to our early submissions. And I, it's something that, uh, to be quite honest with you, I was really surprised uh, uh, to see the results come out of uh, from the competitors using EfficientNet. Yeah, yeah, it's cool, and it, it actually shows um, how we're really advancing towards actually having this be real-world relevant. Because you know, originally you would have to train these networks for days on days to get them to to peak in performance, uh, and then inference time would be be really slow. You know, it would take hours to to you know, it, uh, make predictions over several square kilometers. Now uh, we're seeing performance where uh, we, we gave competitors seven days to train their models. They only took two. That was the, the yeah. longest tra training time, which is really cool. And uh, the winner actually had the fastest algorithm as well, which was interesting. So when we go to inference time, I believe it's about five, uh, let's see, five seconds per square kilometer. So that, that's actually pretty quick in terms of being able to, to create predictions and, and outputs in near real time. And so, you know, we're, we, we've seen certainly uh, large performance increases on, on the model side. Uh, but I'm, I'm curious, you know, from the, 
uh, from the performance perspective, uh, where where did you see uh, the models uh, really do well? And then alternatively, where did you see them re really struggle in, in terms of, i.e., where do we where is there still work to do? There's always work to do in this domain. Where sh where should future development be focused if it's going to stay on this application of building footprint detection? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, so I mean, I think there's one challenge that kind of goes to uh, both optical data and SAR data. So I mean, although this is a SAR focused challenge, uh, models trained on optical data still struggle with this. And this is really finding tiny objects that are really only a couple pixels in size. Um, so when we look at building footprints that are really under uh, about 30 meters squared, they're generally undetectable, um, even by, by the these best-in-class, state-of-the-art computer vision algorithms. Uh, another aspect that I think uh, really could warrant some more development is, and something that we touched on in SpaceNet 4, is the off-nader perspective. Uh, and this is a challenge we see in both optical and, and in SAR data. When you, you're imaging from an oblique look angle, uh, that causes uh, further distortions. It causes, uh, you know, the, it contributes to these layover effects Daniel was discussing earlier about how to the top of the building echoes back um, more quickly. And in optical imagery, it causes the buildings to lean or tilt. And what that does is it causes offsets in your model's predictions and the computer vision algorithms really can't comprehend uh, how to shift uh, their predictions away from just detecting buildings to detecting the base of the buildings, which is what we're interested in, finding the footprints of where these structures actually are. So I, I think further advancement research really is required in those two areas. Yeah. So as work's going down in, in down that path, it, it's worth sort of exploring. You know, how do these results compare to just a standalone electro optical? Uh, I.e., like, are, are they are they similar or, or or were they different? Yeah. So we actually uh, so although the the competitors only had really had access to SAR data during inference time. We had space that we have have this optical data. So we ended up training our retraining the winner Woj's algorithm to do a building footprint extraction with optical data only. And then we test um, with that, that optical data as well, just to see the performance differences. So he had a, a score of about 42.4 with the SAR data. When we look at the optical data, that goes up to a score of around 69. So that, that that's a nice, nice performance boost. So what what is the real differences here? What's what's missing, or what, why? What explains these performance differences? Um, so with optical imagery, you're definitely able to detect uh, structures that are, are smaller uh, than you are with SAR data, and part of that really, I think, deals with with color. So um, the the SAR imagery, it's really all about measuring the the that backscatter, what's what's being shot to the ground, it's echoing back to, to the sensor in some way. With optical data, you actually have color, so you can see uh, differences between vegetation and differences between, you know, buildings. Um, and that, that, that's certainly helpful. Another interesting fact here that we saw, and we talked about this a little bit, was the, the layover. So um, with tall buildings, we actually saw a decreased performance with SAR data uh, due to these, the, this noise coming back off. Uh, of, of the sensor, and you you don't have that that problem with optical data. Taller buildings are not really as influenced uh, as much with, as they are with SAR data. And so, you know, as we look ahead, you know, for for you know future work that just we're thinking about, you know, well, I'll start with uh, 
with you, Jake, like, what are some things that are in the, in the front of your mind about stuff that you want to be working on uh, in terms of either leveraging this data set or as you're highlighting, is leveraging some of the findings that we've had from the models to date? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing that, that comes to mind is really uh, colorization. So uh, finding some way to use the optical data to pre-process your SAR. So only two of the top five ended up using the optical data in any way during their training. They, they pre-trained on optical data for all or a portion of their networks. Uh, but the winner, actually, and, and three of the top five just pre-trained on ImageNet. So this is a totally different modality. We were surprised by this. We really thought that training on optical data from the overhead perspective would really be helpful for, for these models. Um, but, you know, the way we've structured the data set, it still enables people to do, do cool things. So uh, there's a process called colorization. So can we steal some of the, the color from the optical image, train a network to find that, and then colorize our SAR data in some way? Uh, and then use that as a pre-processing step uh, when, when you don't have optical data available. Uh, so we're, we're starting to run some experiments on that, uh, hopefully have results out here on that in about a month, which is really exciting. Um, another aspect here that I think is interesting is moving towards real foundational mapping. So what, what do I mean by that? We're talking about mapping things. So we score each individual uh, tile in SpaceNet. So we're, we're just really calculating the scores of, of tiles. But what that does is it actually uh, magnifies things like edge effects. So when a building's cropped in half, th those sorts of things. Uh, so what we were planning to do is really evaluate performance on a city scale. So we, we want to stitch all these predictions back together and then see how well uh, performance actually is in, in a real setting. So we're not isolating down to, to tiles where, where you might have you know, some, some complications. How well does this actually do at, at broad scale? And, you know, uh, some of our past projects have touched on this too, like Adam's work with roads. Um, yeah, so I think those are the, some of the most interesting aspects worth exploring. Yeah, and particularly in the, the second part, Jake, just understanding uh, the utility or lack thereof of these models when you go to, to city scale is really informative. You know, one of the things that, you know, we get asked a lot that we, we don't always talk about on, on the show is how we come up with some of the ideas for challenges. You know, sometimes they're, they're a little more opportunistic in terms of being able to get access to a great data set. In this case, with SAR, something we thought a lot about for years. Uh, in other cases, it is you know, a long, uh, long sought technical challenges, right? And one that underpins not just SpaceNet 6, but a lot of our other projects is how do we eventually graduate from an applied research setting to something where people can start to experiment with, or at least maybe use some of our data sets or some of our findings to then do their own experiments. And I think SAR plays a critical role in that. And I'm particularly interested to see what we produce in the coming months, albeit whether it's real positive finding or simply highlighting a lot more work needs to be done. Uh, you know, and, and Daniel, kind of over to you, you know, what are you thinking about uh, in terms of future work that you want to do? Because I know, you know, you built a lot of foundational infrastructure with building out uh, that baseline. Uh, so what do you have coming up in the next couple of months? Yeah, so uh, a couple of things. One is that we're planning to do a additional release of SAR data. So this will be a new release based on these original collects over Rotterdam uh, that will include some uh, new products. And the one that we're especially excited about 
is the inclusion of complex SAR data, meaning SAR data including the phase information, which opens up the door to a lot of different kinds of analyses, as you said, encouraging people to take this and run with it and try different things. Another thing uh, that's coming Alice, up. That, that's outstanding. Is, and Daniel, I'm curious, it, um, we talked a little bit about that. I think it's worth just highlighting again. That's really unique in terms of putting out uh, those types of data, like just in, in any resolution, but I think particularly in the resolution class that we're talking about. Yes, that's right. This will be a, uh, a pretty special data set. All right, and I, and I cut you off. What else do you have in mind? The other thing that we are working on, or another thing that we are working on, let me start that over. Something else that we're working on is we are developing a library of tools for pre-processing. That is the work of preparing a data set to be used for geospatial deep learning. This will be included in an upcoming release of Solaris, our geospatial deep learning Python library, and it will include tools to support um, various manipulations of imagery and labels, but in particular, it will include a selection of algorithms for preparing SAR data. So that should be especially useful for uh, data sets such as this one. This uh, pre-processing library is built on a Python module that we're working on called Pipe Segments, which allows for taking small building blocks of prepared code and assembling them into more complicated workflows to do more complicated data processing tasks. Now that's outstanding. And when we release that, um, based upon some real popular feedback we've had, we'll be putting out uh, virtual tutorials on that as well as uh, all of the appropriate updates to our web pages and GitHub repos. So stay tuned for that. Uh, Daniel, a little teaser, I think uh, when we release that, uh, that merits its own uh, podcast in, uh, episode in my opinion. I think so. Outstanding. Um, and, you know, it, we'd be remiss in talking about SAR and future work if we also didn't uh, mention our, our, our T-shirts. I think, you know, the overwhelming demand uh, for our SAR Week shirts, which we used uh, to kick off uh, the whole uh, SpaceNet 6 challenge. Uh, I think by popular demand, we'll be doing an additional reprint of those. Uh, so stay tuned for that uh, as well. All right, so you really need to open up a web store, I think, Ryan, to start selling <laughs> to, to, to the audience. I think it could be a good hey, idea. I'm all in on that idea. If we yeah. get asked about it uh, on more than one occasion, and I think between uh, the shirts and some of the stickers, it would be fun. Uh, and so, if, if, if for all you listening, if you want that, write in, let us know you want that, uh, and we can hopefully. Uh, get that up, up and running on the SpaceNet site. We'll, we'll count that as an aspirational goal. Yes. Uh, outstanding. Well, you know, to kind of conclude here, uh, for, any of the, for any of you listening who have followed our, our whole SpaceNet challenge process, you know, what we're doing right now, which is the, after the a challenge concludes and doing a detailed analysis of the data set and code, 
uh, it's really, uh, we would argue, some of the most exciting work that we're doing. And we put out, we'll be putting out a lot more material um, in the next couple of weeks, uh, providing that analysis. Uh, Jake Daniel, why don't you walk us through some other things you're thinking about doing, whether it be some blogs or, 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 other, or other material. We've already hit on some of this a little bit. Yeah, I mean, the, the two points I, I really laid out in talking about the, the colorization and moving towards the real foundational mapping at scale, uh, both of those are going to be standalone blogs. So uh, they'll, they'll be coming out uh, hopefully within uh, the next two to, to four weeks. So watch the downlink for those. Uh, also, we already had our first blog breaking down uh, the, the winner's solutions and how uh, the algorithm succeeded with you know, buildings of different size, buildings of different height, and how they compared to optical data. So I'd encourage everybody to check that out. Uh, that I'll turn it over to Daniel. Yeah, I would just uh, echo the point to uh, keep one's eyes on the, the blog in the coming weeks as we'll have more analysis, more data, and more software. That's great. I think, you know, one of the other things that we didn't really talk about here, but it's worth bringing up as we're, uh, we're uh, highlighting different content we're putting out there is for the first time, uh, a SpaceNet challenge was tied to a, a specific uh, workshop at a conference, in this case, a Computer Vision Pattern Recognition, or CVPR 2020's Earth Vision Workshop, uh, featured the SpaceNet 6 challenge. And you can also find um, our recordings uh, from that workshop, as well as the recordings uh, from two of uh, the contestants, uh, or the top five, on their solutions and why they did what they did. Um, on this, on our spacenet.ai page. Uh, so we uh, highly encourage you to check that out uh, and look at those recordings. Uh, with that, I would say I'd like to thank, as always, uh, uh, Jake and Daniel for coming on the show and for making uh, uh, this long sought goal uh, of having a uh, multimodal data set challenge uh, come to reality. So big thanks to you. Uh, certainly a big thanks to all of our space time partners, particularly those that put together, uh, made this data set uh, possible. So Capella Space and Maxar. And guys, look forward to your future releases. Great work. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. And, and do we want to tease SpaceNet 7 now? I feel like this oh might my be gosh. an opportunity to, to um, talk about that. Uh, here's an important question, Jake, before I get into that. Can the internet traffic, essentially can the Apple's podcast app handle that type of internet traffic? Boy, that's that's a, that's a brave question. I think we're going to test that. All right, let's 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 risk it. Let's risk yes. it. Let's just see what happens. All right. So, Jake, you're opening up, right? For as one SpaceNet challenge closes, another one begins, uh, and we're specifically uh, really excited uh, to already have announced a little teaser uh, for SpaceNet Seven, which we're looking to plan uh, for a planned launch in uh, early autumn of this year. And backed by popular demand, the first trifecta uh, challenge manager, the Grand Meister of Computer Vision himself, the one, the only Adam Van Etten, will be back uh, to steer the ship. And Jake, what are we going to do? What's happening? Is it going to be a novel data set or is it going to be uh, trite and boring? Uh, yeah, I, I think this is a very novel data set. So uh, thanks to our new partner with SpaceNet Planet. Uh, they're they're uh, giving us uh, 100 different uh, locations of, with dense time stacks of imagery. So uh, the challenge is gonna be focused on uh, time series analysis and extracting how urban environments change over time. 
Uh, and I, we're going to be bringing in a new metric. I think it's going to be really exciting. I know Adam's, Adam's stoked. He's got the three-peat now. Uh, he's just three away from that Tom Brady, uh, Michael Jordan <laughs> level. Uh, I know he's excited about that. I'm happy just to have one. I, I do think we should start making rings to commemorate uh, challenge management for uh, the SpaceNet and get that championship Ooh. ring. Um, yeah, I'm, in, I'm in on that. Yeah. Uh, so I, I know Adam's stoked. We're all stoked to see, see uh, how... You know, state-of-the-art computer vision handles these these time series approaches with satellite imagery. Yeah, and you know, in all seriousness, you know, we, we at the opening of this episode, we talked about how you know we've long sought uh, a multimodal data set. Uh, another long sought goal for us, uh, and this is something that goes back once again to our our, our early days in, in 2015 and 16, has been a deep time series data set. There's a lot of promise uh, with those types uh, those types of data. Uh, but how uh, they're used in a machine learning workflow, once again, a lot of open-ended questions. And we're hoping that uh, just like SpaceNet 6 is with SAR, hopefully uh, SpaceNet 7 can serve as a foundational data set and uh, algorithm repository for future work. So stay tuned as we'll be putting out uh, our first overview of that challenge, as well as a first look at the data set uh, in the coming months. Uh, on all of our normal channels and we'll certainly be having a, uh, a podcast episode on that once we have all the challenge specifics laid out so stay tuned but with that everyone as always uh, thank you make sure to check out everything on the spacenet.ai page or the cosmicworks.org page and until our next episode take care rule 39 you're not wrong, you're just an... Yeah. Thank you for listening to today's show. If you'd like to hear more episodes or be kept up to date when we release a new show, please make sure to subscribe to Training Data wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to find out more information and links to the different sites and data sets and presentations and all the different content that we discussed today, you can find more at cosmicworks.org, that's cosmic with a Q, spacenet.ai, and our blog, the downlink, that's also with a Q on Medium. As you're seeing here, we like the letter Q. Music was provided by the DMV Zone, and for those of you not in the DMV, that is the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area, by Redline Addiction. Uh, a big thank you to Kristen Zender and Carrie Sassine from Tells Marketing Group. Also, a shout out to Hardcast Media uh, for serving as our studio. Thanks for listening and take care.